It is so wonderful to see you here today. We're going to continue our series called Destined to Dream. And I want you to know that God still uses dreams to speak to us. In Job chapter 33, beginning at verse 14, we read from the minor prophet, For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter quotes the prophet Joel from Joel 28, saying that, that young men would see visions, that old men would dream dreams. Now, certainly not every dream that we have is from God. How many of you can say amen to that? Because I, I'm telling you, uh, maybe it's just that we've been talking about dreams in the month of March, but I have had some some pretty weird dreams as of late, and uh, so I, I'm I'm glad that not every dream that I have is from God. But throughout Scripture, we see that God used dreams to communicate in various ways. God uses dreams to warn us, and, and we need to be grateful for that. God used a dream in Genesis chapter 41. We talked about that earlier this month to communicate to Pharaoh that there was an impending disaster that was coming. God uses dreams as a way of communicating to his prophets in the Old Testament, God uses dreams to warn people regarding a particular decision. If you remember when Jesus was on trial before uh, Herod, Herod's wife came to him and said, have nothing to do with this man because I have been suffering in a dream. God uses that to speak to us sometimes. God uses dreams uh, to warn people regarding not only a particular decision, but he discloses our personal future and our destiny to us. We talked about that with the life of Joseph. But he also uses dreams to answer our requests or prayers that we have been sending up to God as he did with King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. But today we're going to look at one of the New Testament characters and how God used a dream to speak to him and to prepare him for the big picture. How many of you want God to prepare you for the big picture? Anybody? Man, I, I want that. God, prepare me for the big picture that you have for me. And God spoke to Peter through a dream. And I want to read to you this morning from the book of Acts, beginning at chapter 10. And I'm going to read a, a lengthy portion here, uh, but stick with me if you would. Beginning at verse 9 of Acts chapter 10. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So Peter's not on the journey. Peter's already there. He's in the city of Joppa at Simon the Tanner's home. And it says in verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. 
It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking Simon, who was known as Peter, if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? I believe today that God desires to teach you and I some specific things about how he speaks to us through dreams and visions, through this experience of Peter. And the first thing, and, I, and I've got six of them, and I, the first thing I want to point your attention to, that really Peter was in the spirit, okay? He was in the spirit. Let me define what that really means. So it's, it's noon, Peter has some, some time now that lunch is being prepared, so he goes up on the roof in order to, get, uh, to, to be alone, in order to spend some time in prayer. And Peter has an experience that the scripture describes as a trance. Now, I just have to be honest with you. That word trance creeps me out, okay? It just does, because it just doesn't feel good. So what does that really mean? What are we really talking about when the scripture says that Peter fell into a trance? Well, as I began to study this word, I found out that it refers to becoming so focused on something that is happening on the inside that we become totally unaware of things that are happening around us, okay? And when I think about it in that, those terms... I, I, my dad falls into a trance every time he watches the Badgers play. You know, I, I, I can't tell how many times at the close of a service I will see someone that is, that, that is so focused on what God is doing in their heart, they've closed the entire world out. They're not aware of anything else that's going on around them. Okay? That's what we're talking about. That's what it meant. I'm reminded of the experience that that John, and Scripture calls him John the Beloved. He was the youngest of the disciples. The Scripture says that, that he was one that the Lord loved. So Jesus had this special relationship with John, uh, not, not John the Baptist, we're talking about John, his disciple. And we read that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In other words, he wasn't, he wasn't in his own spirit. He was, he was literally so focused in on what was happening on the inside that he became unaware of everything else that was on the outside. 
I did a little more study and I found that Barnes in his commentary, he said that in a trance or a prophetic vision, it so overwhelmed the person with power and filled with the light of the Holy Spirit as to be insensible of outward things and wholly taken up with spiritual and divine. This state of of being in a trance is compared to the deep sleep that God placed Adam in in Genesis chapter 2 when the scripture tells us that God removed a rib from Adam's body after which he closed up the place around it with flesh. So whether we're talking today about Peter or whether we're talking about John the Apostle or Paul or or even Jesus, God has a habit of speaking to those who practice getting alone with God and becoming engrossed in his presence, okay? And if you want to hear from God, and if whether, whether it's awake, whether it's half asleep, like when I'm preaching, or whether you're all the way asleep, you want to hear from God, begin to get engrossed in his presence. Begin to focus on him and be alone with him in a way that literally it doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the world around you. Second thing. Is called the five-second rule. Now, those of you that are parents, when we have little children, we have to teach our children certain things, okay? Children don't know that it's not okay to eat food off the floor underneath the kitchen table, okay? They just don't understand it. They're not equipped with that, especially if it's a bright color, Okay, that's just fair game. Okay, and so there, what, what do we do as parents? The moment we see this happen, oh, 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 put that down, that's yucky, that's dirty. Right? Am I right? Isn't that what we do? You guys are leaving, hanging me out to dry. <laughs> Nobody online right now is gonna know that you're acting like I'm the only one that's ever done. We make faces, don't we? We, oh, oh, that's yucky. Don't do, oh, that's, that's terrible. But when we become adults, we've developed this thing called the five-second rule. Do you see how hypocritical that is? I, I will have to admit to you that more than once, I have invoked the five-second rule, okay? Especially if it's got a tortilla chip attached to it. Okay, because you can blow those off really well. Okay, really well, I'm just saying. But what do we do? We, we, it, it falls on the floor and we say, oh, oh it's just, it was just a second. I got it. Okay, it's our, we blow it off and it's okay for us to eat. Peter's response to the vision of these four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds coming down on this, this sheet and God saying to him, Peter, Get up, kill and eat. He had the same response that you do when your little kid goes under the table and picks up something off the floor and eats it. Oh, 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 I would never, Lord, I would never do anything like that. Do you see what I'm saying? Same exact response. He is totally grossed out. Because he is such a good Jew. He is abided by the law of Moses. And God, I would never do anything like that. He's literally appalled. 
And God says to him, Peter, don't you call anything unclean that I have created to be clean. Now, I got news for you. Peter's dream, the purpose behind it, was not about Peter learning to eat pork. Okay? I'm just being honest. Peter had never eaten pork before. I am sure that on that blanket from heaven came a succulent, wonderful, beautiful pork loin that had barbecue sauce on it. And it was, it was all tore up and, and just, it was just spectacular. And it, that, oh, I'm, he'd never eaten that before. Never eaten that before. But that's not the purpose of his dream. You see, God, I don't think God cared that Peter had ever eaten or not eaten pork before. There's a bigger picture. But God had to use the smaller picture to get Peter to understand that there was a bigger picture that he wanted to speak to him about. And that's the same way it is with you and I. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says it this way, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. You see, God knew that Peter would never go to the home of a Gentile unless God got him to see the small picture first. Okay? It was against the law the law of Moses, for a Jew to go into the home of a Gentile. But God was preparing Peter for the big picture. And he used the small picture in order to get him ready. And I believe that there's times that God wants to work in our life and he wants to do some big things and give us some big dreams. But before that can happen, he's going to give us small dreams to get us ready for that thing. Okay? All right, the third time's the charm. Number three. The third, somebody almost threw down the gauntlet that I could finish uh, this morning in 30 minutes. So I'm, I'm really working hard here to make sure that I get done in 30 minutes. Um, if you're like me, uh, you've had the sense before that God maybe was speaking to you, but you really wondered if it was God or was it just something in your own mind. Anybody ever had that before? Okay. Most of us have felt that way. So, uh, Peter, in his experience, the Bible says that this happened three times. Are you with me? The, the sheet comes down. It has all of the animals on it. God says, kill and eat. It happens three different times. In the Bible, when, when, when there's repetition, and there's, it's, it happens a lot, and people read it and go like, does this guy not know that he just wrote that already once before? Well, this happened three times. What is the significance of three times? But when things happen three different times, it's not only that it's extremely important, it signifies certainty, okay? You don't have to wonder about it. This is something that is absolute, 
We read uh, about Pharaoh um, during this series in Genesis chapter 41 that God gave him two different dreams. And Joseph said the dreams are one and the same. And when we looked at the fact that those dreams were one and the same, we say, why? It's because God has firmly decided it and it would happen soon. So tell me this, if God says the same thing three times, it would be even more important and even sooner than when he speaks it twice. There's a greater sense of urgency. Well, this is not the first time that God had spoken to Peter in a series of three. Following Jesus' resurrection in John 21, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? The first time, I mean, I'm sure it was emotional for Peter. Remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus said, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I do. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Okay, maybe the Lord didn't hear me the first time. I'll speak a little louder this time. Yes, Lord, I love you. The third time, it actually hurt Peter because Jesus asked it a third time. And Peter said, surely, Lord, you know all things. Of course he does. He already knew that Peter loved him. He was trying to help Peter see the smaller picture so he could get to the bigger picture. And he wanted to restore Peter, and that's what that conversation was all about. You see, Jesus has in mind for you and I this bigger picture, and when God says the same thing to us through different avenues, we call that confirmation, okay? Confirmation. Some of you went to confirmation classes when you were a young person. Different thing. This means God is speaking something to you through different avenues, different ways, so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what God is speaking is to you and that it's accurate. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the second half of verse 4, or verse 1 rather, Paul says this, every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And I want to apply that sort of idea to this, that when God speaks to us, he will establish what he has spoken to us from other situations, other voices in our life. God will speak to us to confirm what he is saying to us when he places that dream in our hearts. And I want, I, I want to make sure that you get me on this. When you feel that God has placed that dream in your heart, he has spoken to you, you are waiting for that confirmation, you just, you really believe it, it better line up with the scripture. If it doesn't line up with scripture, I don't care how cool it is. I don't care how many people you think are going to come to know Jesus. I don't, care how, I, I don't care the details of it. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it's not from him. Or if it contradicts his word, because God does not work that way. All right, number four, on your mark. This is something else that we learned from Peter. I, I, I don't know how many of you are sports geeks here. Um, but there's something that, that, um, that I enjoy 
doing when I, when I can. And uh, this time of the year, they just had it a couple weeks ago, but it's the NFL Combines. Um, it's preparation for football, and they show on ESPN all of these uh, young guys that are coming out of college. They want to get drafted, and they, they want to let the coaches see how good they can do. And one of the things, and they jump, they lift, they do all sorts of stuff, but one of the things they do is they run the 40. And it's just a lot of fun to watch a 320-pound lineman run the 40, okay? It makes you feel real good about yourself. It's like, I could beat all these linemen right here. I could still beat them, you know? Um, but they're just big. And then the wide receivers run, and you feel like an idiot. But, uh, but when they do the 40, all of them, they've all, obviously, they've learned from the same person. And the thing that amazes me is that Olympic runners... Uh, don't run, they don't do the start the same way as the NFL uh, guys do at the combine. But they get down on one, they put one hand on the line and they've got both feet, you know, set right and then they put the other arm up. Now, I would get down and do that, but my fear is I would actually fall over and then I would completely lose you for the rest of the message. But they get that one arm up, and literally, they're leaning forward. They are in such a position where they can really only do two things. One is fall over, or two is to be launched forward. That's the whole goal. They want to be launched forward as fast as they possibly can. Well, after the picnic blanket was taken back up into heaven before lunch is served, Peter is thinking about this dream. What does it mean? It's still fresh in his mind, okay? He's meditating on it, and then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and the, the, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter again in order to prepare him. He said, there's three men looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them. God literally had Peter in a position where he was locked and loaded and ready to go, okay? God had prepared Peter. He had dealt with him on the small picture. He had said, you got to get ready. It's almost time to go. Don't hesitate. He's down there in the starting blocks. He is locked and loaded, and God is setting everything in motion. Peter isn't setting any of this up. It's all God. And there are some times when God speaks and God moves and he is going to do something and you, you feel like I am, I'm, I'm not setting anything. I'm doing nothing. I am not trying to make this happen. It's just happening. That's because it's the Holy Spirit. And he has you in a position where you are locked and loaded. You are on your mark. And the only two options are fall flat on your face or be launched out into what God has for you. Luke chapter 10, Jesus said to his disciples in verse 3, Go, go, I'm sending you like wolves, uh, lamb, like lambs before the wolves. Man, that doesn't seem like they're very good options. God was launching them out. We think that we have to make everything happen. Nah, not all the time. Sometimes that dream, God just says, I'm going to make it all happen. You just be ready and then go. When I say go, you go. Next, he who hesitates. You remember that saying? He who hesitates is lost, right? He who hesitates is lost. What does that really mean? I believe it's talking about lost opportunities. Back in our text in Acts 10, verse 20, says, get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. 
I want you to notice that God did not give Peter the entire plan. Didn't give him the whole plan. He just said, go with them. What had God just done? Shown him a picnic blanket three times and said, eat ham. That's what he told him. Eat ham, eat alligator, eat ostrich. He gave him all sorts of things that he should, he should say he should eat. God dealt with that small picture first because God knew he'd never go to Cornelius' house. God said, get up, they're here, don't hesitate, go with them. Don't delay. So the only thing Peter knew for sure was that he wasn't supposed to call anything unclean that God had created to be clean. In other words, I can eat anything. I sort of live by that myself. I can eat anything. God said it to Peter, it's good enough for me. He said, I, I know for sure there's people that are at the door downstairs. I know for sure that I need to go with them. Peter didn't know what they wanted. He had no idea what they wanted. He didn't know who they were. He didn't know why they were there. But if he had known, he may not have gone with them. Sometimes God does not tell you the whole story because he knows that if he does, you aren't moving. You think about that? <laughs> if he tells you everything, you're like, hey, whoa, hey, wait. Lord, let's wait for another confirmation. How about if I lay a fleece before the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Those of you that are real spiritual, you know, that's, we, uh, I just want to know, Lord, is this your, sometimes he's not going to give you the whole picture because he wants you to go when he says to go. That's important for us to understand. God had communicated this urgent message to prepare Peter for the mission that was ahead. And when God speaks a dream into our hearts, one day he's going to tell us, now is the time. And maybe you feel like you've been on your mark for a long time. And you're like, man, I don't know if I can hold this spot anymore. And then God is going to say, go. And it's time for you to bust out of the gate and don't hesitate and to give it everything that you've got. Why? Because God's the one calling the shots. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul, he's been preaching in the area of Galatia, but he wants to preach in Bithynia. But the scripture says that the Holy Spirit has literally kept him from doing so. And Paul travels 200 miles. Now, Paul traveled a lot by boat, but this was all inland. And I'm assuming that the majority of it was walking. He traveled for 200 miles. It was a time of unsuccessful ministry, and he was attacked by sickness, and he arrives in Troas, and we read about it in Acts 16. And it says in verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help Help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, Paul could have been incredibly discouraged after this long, unsuccessful trip where he got sick. But God speaks to him. 
And it says Paul concludes that this is God's direction. How did he do that? I love what the Cambridge uh, uh, Bible says. It says literally he came to a conclusion by putting things side by side. So when Paul had this vision, he took a look at everything. He put everything side by side. I've just traveled 200 miles. I wanted to preach in Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit has kept me from it. I've been sick. I had this dream of a man from Macedonia and I got to go further that direction and he laid it all out side by side and he concluded this is what God wants me to do sometimes we got to lay it all out on the table and we got to take a look at it all and we got to ask God Lord as I compare this as I've waited on you and I'm in that ready position to be launched out God what do you want me to do and when do you want me to do it Paul concluded that it was time for him to go and to go to Macedonia He did his best to lay everything out, look at it. And I'm telling you, he didn't just act on his dream. He looked at it all together before he recognized that it was God. And finally, thick skin. Thick skin. Now, today is what? What's today? No, that's not what it is. Today would have been my brother-in-law's birthday. My brother-in-law, Kevin, one of my dearest friends in all the world, he had some type of coronary event about six months after I did. And he was out on the road and he didn't survive. And Kevin and I went to Bible college together. I was sharing with the worship team this morning that when... I was a freshman, I was a hermit. And I would, I would go to class, I would go to work, I'd go back to my room, I'd have dinner, and I would go to, I'd study and go to bed. And I, that was, I, I just, I was so serious about what God had called me there to do, I wasn't looking to enjoy, enjoy my time, I'm just like, let's get this thing done. And Kevin said, hey, I live up on the fourth floor, why don't you come up there and hang out with us? And, and Kevin corrupted me. We drank Mountain Dew like the the kids at the U of M drank other stuff. We started dating soon thereafter, identical twins. So Kevin Roy and Kevin Ray dated Valerie Sue and Veronica Sue. And pretty soon we married those girls. And our last year at Bible College, we had our interviews at the district office, very serious suit and tie, all of these church leaders in the room with us. And, and during Kevin's interview, the guy in charge of the interview had the gall to say to him, you know, I think you're too heavy. Now, Kevin, had all, he's always been tall, always been big. And there were some big guys in the room, let me tell you, some big pastors, because pastors know how to eat. And and Kevin, the guy even asked his wife, he said to Val, he said, would it be all right with with you if Kevin lost 30 pounds? And, you know, she said, well, I I guess so. And Kevin, what do you think? And he said, well, you know, this isn't fat. Now, that's that's a good answer. That's, this isn't fat. I've got thick skin. I'm going into the ministry. 
I love that answer. Not just because it was fast, because there was some realism to it in his life. But I want to tell you something. As a result of Peter's dream, Cornelius and all of his house, they accepted uh, the Lord. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. This never happened in all of history that, that Gentiles had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The church was brand new. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden Gentiles are accepting Christ. News of this spreads very quickly. And Peter goes back to Jerusalem and the church leaders get together with him and it says that they criticized him. When God gives you a dream and he speaks it into your heart and he launches you out and great things happen, you are still going to come under criticism by people that have never been called to do that before. Did you hear what I said? You will be criticized. And I love the fact that, that Peter explained everything to them. They said, this isn't possible. Peter said, well, I, God gave me a dream of a picnic blanket and, and pork chops coming down from heaven. And, and God, uh, he, he, he told me that these guys were coming, said I should go, I shouldn't hesitate. I went, I preached. I didn't even give an altar call. They all start speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit falls all over them. And, and what am I supposed, who am I to, to tell God no? Who am I to say God can't do this? He didn't get defensive. He just explained his heart. He explained what God did. And they said, you know what? It makes sense to us. But when you begin to step out, when you begin to act on that dream that God has given you, and he speaks it to you, and you step out, you launch out, and you do it, you may come under criticism by people that have never been used by God to do anything like that before, and you're going to need to have some thick skin enabled in order to endure it. Peter's dream, it took him way outside his comfort zone. Way outside his comfort zone. It had never been done before. But Peter was in the habit of getting alone with God and, and being so engrossed in God's presence that he could hear the voice of God speaking to him, whether he was all the awake or all the way asleep. God prepared him. He pointed out the little picture so he could show him the big picture. God confirmed it. He said, don't hesitate. Yep, he was criticized, but... God did something great through Peter. Remember that Peter denied Jesus three times. He was a total failure, a complete failure, but Jesus restored him. God gave him a dream even after he failed. And there are some of you here that you think that because you have failed that God would never plant a dream in your heart again. All of these things that I've been sharing, you're, you're like, it doesn't matter because I failed God. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored him, spoke into his life, spoke that dream to him, and God wants to do the same for you today. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you still speak to us. You still plant dreams and visions in our hearts. 
God, you, you want us to be in that ready position. You want, you want to launch us out, God, to accomplish great things that you're going to set up. You're going to, you're going to move all the parts and the pieces, and you're going to do it. And God, great things will be happening. Even though it's outside of our comfort zone, we may come under criticism. But God, before that can ever happen, for some of us, we've got to realize that even though we failed in the past that you still are willing and desire to plant that dream in our hearts. Before I close this service, this morning, if you're one of those people and you say, Pastor, I, I, I just don't know if God can ever plant a dream in my heart again because I know that I failed him in the past. If that's you, I want to pray for you just quickly before we go. If that's you, slip your hand up. Come on, slip it up to heaven. You say, you know what I want? I want that dream, but I know that I failed him. I've let him down. Come on, hold it up there. Just hold it up. I'm going to give just, just five more seconds. I don't want to miss you. Father, you see these hands that are raised all across this room from one end to the other, from the front to the back, and I believe, God, that you desire to speak those dreams into our hearts, but the enemy wants to steal them away, and he is going to condemn us, and he is going to say, you have failed God. How is it possible for God to do great things through you? You have failed him. And God, I know that you want to do great things. I know that you want to give people dreams. Father, I believe... Lord, that you desire to move in us today, to speak life to us, to speak your dreams into our hearts and launch us out to accomplish those things for you.